presume that hypothetically benevolent social policies are going to produce a positive result. Sure. And, and I think there's, there are uh, social patterns that, that uh, give reason for, for concern. So, for example, um, the, this idea of, of sexual promiscuity, I think the, the latest manifestation of this is, is polyamory. Um, I, Very destructive. I had this conversation with a friend of mine uh, you know, a couple of years ago. He uh, told me, you know, Rob, when I, when I open up my, my Tinder app, you know, this dating app, uh, and I, I put the radius to just a couple of miles around, you know, he, he also attends, you know, a, a university when I, when I put it just to a couple of miles around, um, you know, it's pretty much all of my matches, all of the other profiles I see are other, other women students at the university. And when I look at their bios, half of them say that they're polyamorous or they're interested in an open relationship or they're not looking for anything too serious. Right. So what's the, what's the idea there? Well, before, you know, before the 1960s, before the birth control pill, etc., in the 20s, women had to get married right away. Uh, And they had to do that because uh, the risk of pregnancy, you need to get taken care of, etc. But after the birth control pill, what ended up happening is that these girls could just go around being, um, you know, sleeping with whoever they want. And uh, because of women's hypergamy, uh, hypergamy means that women want a superior partner. Uh, because of women's hypergamy, uh, they choose the apex man at university, right? Uh, the top 10% or top 5% in terms of looks, uh, because at that age, you don't have much more than looks. And uh, the women just share them, right? So they become polyamorous, quote unquote, which means they just jump from guy to guy to guy, or they spin multiple guys at the same time. Um, and obviously, these chads, the top 5% of guys, top 10% of guys, they have like a million women. Um, at the same time, and these girls assume that um, because uh, the only men that they're attracted to are men that have such options, that all men are like this, and they say all men are trash, men are cheaters, men are scum, etc. But really, it's only the men that they choose that have those options. And then he told me when he extended the radius to match with women outside of the university uh, in, into the town, which is... Um, sort of this working class town, uh, he said that about half of the women that he, he saw on, on his app were single moms. Uh-oh. Right. So this is the, so the experience of the average man on a dating app is as follows. You could swipe a thousand times, uh, you get zero matches, or if you do get matches, um, it's like, you know, 30 plus year old women, it's single mothers, it's girls with lots of tattoos, who smoke, who do illicit substances, etc., um, so again, the dating market has become a very, very competitive, nearly impossible place for the average man, um, in 2022. So he's right. And so, and, and it's the same age group, right? Like 18 to say 23 years old. So in the university, they're interested in having fun. And then the 18 to 23 year old working class women are having a much different experience of life, uh, and my claim is that the luxury beliefs of the former have basically trickled down and wrecked havoc among the latter. Uh, so starting in the 1960s, um, there's data from Robert Putnam and Charles Murray and others, which you may have seen showing, for example, that in 1960, uh, working class, children born to working class families and children born to affluent families, 95% of them were uh, born and raised by both of their birth parents. Right. And if you fast forward from 1960 to 2005, uh, the affluent families, the children of the affluent, 
uh, had dipped slightly. So it was 95% in 1960, and by 2005, it had dropped to 85%. So it was a slight drop, but by and large, still overwhelmingly uh, intact families. And for the working class, again, in 1960, it was 95%, and by 2005, it had dropped to 30%. So yeah, a completely different world, essentially. Out there too. Uh, right, and what's, what's, the, what's the deal, right? Like, why? Why did that happen? Um, it's because... These uh, working class women, right, they think that they're entitled to a chad. So all they do is they sleep with a chad and they get, you know, they have a baby with chad. Um, whereas before they wouldn't be with chad at all because they'd understand that there's no way you're getting a relationship out of chad. You can sleep with him, but you can't get a relationship. And so she wouldn't get the protection and provisioning from chad. But nowadays in 2022, if you have that kid with chad, who will take care of you? Well, the government will. And so, um, these, these people are favored in doing so. Hello and welcome to the Helios blog. My name is Helios here for another reaction video. If you're new to the channel, like in the content, hit the sub, hit all for notifications. If you'd like to support me, I do have a Patreon with exclusive content, patreon.com slash the Helios blog. Just go there and subscribe to any tier, any level of support is appreciated. Let's continue. Because there's an interesting progression between different ethnicities and races along that curve. So the first Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this to be the case. The first population that really affected was the black population. Then it was the Hispanic population. Then it was the, the white population. But the curves match. They're just, um, Time they're just like 10 years apart. If, if you, if you yeah. look at the same socioeconomic level. And so, yeah, that's a good example of policies that are hypothetically liberal at the high end having a devastating effect farther down and you know right. these pe people who it's people who claim that marriage for example is a patriarchal institution well the best rejoinder to that i know of is then well why do the rich get married and the poor don't they uh, right exactly um there's more to this um so again it doesn't matter if it's a patriarchal institution or not um because we don't care about like what type of institution it is if it has good results, right? If the best results for society are to have patriarchal institutions, and that's what should happen, right? Because nowadays with these, um, you know, the, the quote-unquote patriarchal institution being shattered, um, well, now there's no more like stable families. And so because there's no more stable families, what happens? What happens is misery <laughs> the, the children grow up in houses that they can't uh where there's just single mothers and it's it's ridiculous obviously choosing right. to oppress themselves given their options it doesn't make any sense i mean i think Indeed. it's an absolutely foolish theory to begin with but but th that seems to me to be a piece of data that indicates quite clearly that if you have a choice that's what you pick or if you have the widest possible level of choices, that's what you choose. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a catastrophe. Although, you know, that's, that, the fact that it's a catastrophe is also hidden by a whole other set of luxury beliefs, like all families are of equal value, which in some sense is true, right? Because if, if you're thinking about how each person should be valued and whether or not right so there's a difference in value as a you know as an individual human being and value added to society right so 
different families add different value to society depending on you know what what they provide what they what they bring to the table and that's doubtless um but uh like all people have value as human beings and the it's not like one person is worth more than another in terms of, you know, human value. But value added to society, well, these these things can be quantified. But the child of a single mother should be valued. Well, obviously, the answer to that is yes. But mm-hmm. that d- doesn't mean that all family configurations are equally functional. Absolutely true. In fact... Uh, it is a known statistic that single-parent households do worse than um, families that stay together. So uh, this is why it's very important to select your partner intelligently, because if you don't, well, bad things are going to happen to you uh, in, in, your, in your future, right? You, you can't afford to make a bad partner choice. You can't afford to choose a bad girlfriend. You can't afford to choose a bad wife. Um, because your the outcomes for your children are just terrible. If that's if that's the case, all right. Let's uh, let's continue. On average, and I yes. think the data is absolutely clear that children with intact two parent families do far better. Now, if you get divorced, there are things you can do that moderate the effect of the divorce. Um, uh, what's his name? He wrote the boy crisis. Warren Farrell has documented, Farrell has documented a number of ways that people who get divorced can ensure that their children do about as well as they would in an intact family. And some of that involves approximately 50% contact with each parent. Um, I think the parents also need to attend counseling, third-party counseling, so that they can maintain a reasonable relationship and they have to live within something approximating a 20-minute drive from one another. Oh, uh, there's something else. Um, uh, don't think that if you have a child with somebody that you can ever uh, break free of them. You will be uh, in a relationship with them for the rest of your life because you've had a child with them. This is why you need to be very careful about who you have children with. You have to be very careful in your choice because if you don't, it's going to end up very bad for you um, uh, in the long term. Something like that. But I mean, that takes a lot of balancing and dancing to replicate that environment. And it seems impossible in our society to have a discussion about the fact that some forms of families are better for children than others. Indeed. And um, in fact, if you try to have that conversation, what happens? You get called M-word, A-word. You are against women. You're the worst person in the world. How dare you say that some people are more valuable than others, etc., etc. Yeah, certain decisions are bad and they can have negative consequences and they shouldn't be made as a result. Um, If you... Don't think you're going to get along with the person in the long term. Why are you in a marriage with them? Why are you having children with them? <laughs> anyway. Uh, here, let's, uh, let's do this article by Rolo Tomasi. So this is Women in Love. So again, here's the rational male. Just look it up on Google. Men believe that love matters for the sake of it. Women love opportunistically. 
Today's pull quote comes from Expat Ranting's blog. The discourse here is brief but insightful. I really, really, really hope the myth that girls are the hopeless romantic gets kicked to the curb ASAP. Everyone needs to realize that men are the romantics pretending to be realists and women are vice versa. That's right. I found this particularly thought-provoking. Men are the romantics forced to be the realists while women are the realists using romanticism to affect their imperative. Hypergamy. This is a heaping mouthful of cruel reality to swallow and dovetails nicely into the sixth iron rule of Tomasi. Women are utterly incapable of loving a man in the way that a man expects to be loved. In its simplicity, this speaks volumes about the conditions of men. It accurately expresses a pervasive nihilism that men must either confront and accept or be driven insane and denial for the rest of their lives when they fail to come to terms with disillusionment. Women are incapable of loving men in the way that a man idealizes as possible, in a way he thinks he sh- uh, she should be capable of. <clears throat> in the same respect that women cannot appreciate the sacrifices men are expected to make in order to facilitate their imperatives, women can't actualize how a man would have himself uh, loved her. It's not the natural state of women, and the moment he attempts to explain his ideal love, that's the point at which his idealization becomes her obligation. Our girlfriends, our wives, daughters, and even our mothers are all incapable of this idealized love. As nice as it would be to relax, trust, and be vulnerable, upfront, rational, and open, the great abyss is still the lack of an ability for women to love men as men would like to, to be loved. For the plugged-in beta, this aspect of awakening is very difficult to confront. Even in the face of constant, often traumatic, controversies to what a man hopes will be his reward for living up to qualifying for a woman's love and intimacy, he'll still hold on to that Disney-esque ideal. It's very important to understand that this love archetype is an artifact from our earliest feminized conditioning. It's much healthier to accept that it isn't possible and live within that framework. If she's there, she's there. If not, oh well. She's not incapable of love in the way she defines it. She's incapable of love as you would have it. She doesn't lack the capacity for connection and emotional investment. She lacks the capacity for the connection you think would ideally suit you. The resulting love that defines a long-term couple's relationship is the result of coming to an understanding of this impossibility and reimagining what it should be for men. Men have been and should be the more dominant gender, not because of some imagined divine right or physical prowess, but because on some rudimentary psychological level, we ought to realize that a woman's love is contingent upon our capacity to maintain that love in spite of a woman's hypergamy. By order of degrees, hypergamy will define who a woman loves and who she will not, depending upon her own opportunities and capacity to attract it. All right, back to this. And because we think of any imposition of a value analysis of that sort as discriminatory. And in some sense, it is discriminatory, because when you say that one thing is better, you're also saying at the same time that the opposite of that is worse. Well, then it depends on who you're trying to focus on. And while I I go by the data fundamentally, and children born to young single mothers, especially if the young single mothers are troubled, and therefore also easy targets for predatory males, they don't do well, and there's multi. Again, uh, blaming it on the men is is really not the way to go. Because who is the selector of the human race? Is it men or women? Women are the selectors. So, women select those men that then quote unquote damage them. So, like if women made better selections, then they would have less terrible outcomes, right? That's the thing. You can't, on one hand, say that you want this reality, while, on the other hand, going against that very reality. Generational effects of that. And we're too bloody naive and, and 
I don't know, immature, I guess, to have a serious conversation about such things. And we also don't know how to put the genie back in the bottle. Well, unfortunately, the genie is never going back in the bottle. And that's the sad part, right? But that's, that's where Jordan reveals himself to be fundamentally conservative, right? Um, because that's the, that's the thing. We're not going back to the 1950s. The genie's out of the bottle. Uh, these dating apps exist. TikTok exists. Snapchat exists, etc. Instagram exists. We can't go back to the previous reality. And as a result of that, um, like we're going to have to come up with a new reality, right? And and that's why, like in 2022, the marriage rate is six out of a thousand. There's a reason. It's because first of all, the economy is terrible. Um, but also, um, men are not being rewarded for being in relationships, like like for being in uh, long-term relationships or marriages. Uh, instead, men are being punished, right? Because if Let's say uh, a man gets into a marriage in 2022. Um, if the girl cheats on him, if she betrays him, if she sleeps with another guy, if she starts posting herself on OnlyFans or whatever, guess what? The guy will have to pay alimony and child support. And, and the reason is because, uh, you know, if they have children, the, the reason is because whoever has higher income pays money to the person with lower income. And almost always, unequivocally, that's men. So the, until the laws are seriously reformed to reflect the actual reality, men are just going to walk away. Also, women's hypergamy is facilitated by these apps. They literally see 90 to 95% of men as invisible. They're not even in the market at all. Those men aren't competitive. And because of that, those men get no attention. Or very limited attention until the women are 35 plus after they've been ran through by 25 chads. So these realities need to be accounted for. Like, it's not a matter of putting the genie back in the bottle. It's a matter of creating a new bottle, basically. But there's no tax break, for example, for stable married couples. There should be. So there's no economic policy that supports it. Yeah, I I mean... I'm not entirely sure that that would even change much. I mean, I think this is much more of a cultural issue than an economic issue. I mean, you know, a lot of people say, well, the reason, well, it's kind of interesting how, how many different excuses are produced for this. I mean, like you said, a lot of people say that it's this patriarchal institution, but then why are the rich getting married more than the poor? Well, I don't even Uh, know what that means. Let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, I suppose that claim is grounded in the historical interpretation that in the past women were treated in some sense as the equivalent of property and now whether or not that's a reasonable interpretation of the past is entirely up for debate although that's true uh again this this idea of of property um like the idea was the following in the past. It was, if I have the responsibility of this person, then I also have authority to influence their behavior, right? That's not owning them. That is um, basically owning and ruling are two different things, right? 
does the king of a, of a country own the people? No, he doesn't own them. He rules them. That's two different things. And when he says, these are my people, like, it, it's not in a literal sense. It's in a metaphorical sense, right? Um, now, of course, a parent does own the children, right? Uh, because, you know, they, they, um, they are your biological offshoots, right? Uh, but even then, you, you don't actually own them like property, uh, although you do have authority over them. Um, yeah, anyway, it's, it's just a semantic argument, right? It's, it's like, that's, that's the idea of, of uh, what happened in the past, anyway. So we could say that it was more true 150 years ago than it is now, but we could also point out that birth control was a lot less reliable. And so the relationships between men and well, and women didn't have the freedom they have today for all sorts of reasons, hygienic reasons for that matter. I mean, one of the things that freed women was the easy access to technology that dealt with menstrual cycle and public mm. toilets and all of that. I mean, we just don't understand how much sanitary technology, for example, is built into the infrastructure, as well as safety, because women can mm. walk down the street unaccompanied without any problem, comparatively speaking. We don't understand how much of that has changed the relationship between the sexes. Right. That's also true. In the past, uh, the world was a much less safe place um, which is another reason why a lot of these beliefs can exist, right? Because the world is so stable for now, uh, and so nice and secure and safe, um, these women believe that, you know, everything is, everything is fine, and they can get away with anything, and they can say and believe and do anything, right? And uh, it's funny that men are basically boycotting relationships. I find that hilarious. Um, and it's just because... Everything has been turned on its head, right? And so yeah. there may have been property-like associations with marriage 150 years ago. But first of all, that doesn't necessarily mean that that was a patriarchal institution. I mean, it was still the case that the idea was that the men would stick around right. and provide economic support and right. care for the children. And that's right. a long-term binding contract. and. It seems to me the opposite in some sense of libertine freedom. True. So where's yeah. the patriarchy in that precisely? I mean, women weren't equal in some sense, but there are reasons for that. I mean, right. Um, exactly, exactly. Um, it's actually a very interesting point that he brings up that um, how can it be a patriarchal institution when men are basically even more tied down than they, they were more tied down than they are today. You know, I didn't consider this. I didn't consider that um, because back then when a marriage or relationship broke up that the man got the children, that that effectively means that you're tied to the children legally um, and you can get in big trouble for not taking care of your children. I didn't even think of that. Um, so ironically in the patriarchy men were less free not more than they are today i didn't even i didn't even consider that 
many people have made the argument that by loosening the norms around marriage, it's actually been to the benefit of, of men. men in some sense, you know, to be able to have lots of promiscuous partners with many different women and perhaps impregnate some of them and not have to stick around. There's no obligation to them beyond well, maybe so, producing child support so that, payment. That means that it's advantageous to psychopathic men. Right, dark because triad the, types. Well, exactly, because, you know, the, the hallmark of psychopathy is short-term advantage. Take Right. Um, now, this, okay, in some sense, I am inclined to agree with this. Um, <clears throat> so, if we're thinking about 2022 and who it favors, who does it favor? It favors women and the top 5% of men. Now, something that has not been pointed out, but I think is um, is an interesting concept, is that women are very attracted to dark triad men, to, to evil men, to men who, you know, are low in empathy, um, who are destructive, um, men who care about themselves and short-term advantage. And here's something interesting that I that just popped into my head. What if this happens organically? What if it's just in hard times that women subconsciously select for psychopathic men because those men uh, are more likely to do whatever it takes to regain control of the society? You know, I didn't think about that. Maybe this is a process that happens organically. Anyway, um, let's go on to the Reddit article. I'll continue this. I'll do I'll do probably a three-part series on this. Okay. Here's the post from Dating Over 30. What makes a man want something serious with a woman? By the way, this was posted 21 hours ago. I, 34, met a guy, 31, who at first said he only wanted friends. But when we started talking and over time he started flirting with me and stuff. Then two weeks in, we made plans to go out and I asked if we were going as friends. And he said, I thought it was a date. So he went out and he kissed me and he asked me what I thought of him. And if I wanted to be friends, friends with benefits, have a relationship, etc. He said he wanted to be my boyfriend. I had to think about it for a bit and agreed to be his girlfriend. We only kissed and messed around a little. No bedroom fun yet and he hasn't tried to pressure me for bedroom fun either. I'm going to his family's house tomorrow to dance and hang out. We're both Latinos so that part is normal culturally. But I just think it's interesting that he started out saying he only wanted friends and suddenly he said he wanted something serious with me. This is the first time it's happened this way so I'd like to get some opinions on this. Well, what the Latino guy has been taught is the feminized version of reality, which is um, be friends first. You know, he's doing what he's been taught since a child. He's doing the cultural script. And it's funny that this girl says it's the first time it's happened to me. And she's she's 34, by the way. She's older than him. Um, it's funny that this is the first time it's happened because, again, she's chosen Chad this whole time. Chad doesn't care about being friends. So, <laughs> like, there you go. Uh, oh, top comment, 143 upvotes. He got to know you and liked it. Yeah, that's bullshit. Um, 85 upvotes. I think people generally fall into this camp, open to relationship if it feels right and develops naturally, but not interested in establishing expectations too early on because it can compli complicate things. Uh, this is women. Women's view. Basically, the difference between just friends, just bedroom fun, and long-term commitment is something that becomes clear as you date. Everyone has equal potential to be all of the above. No, that's false. Or none. 
I see the distinguishing factor of one direction versus another is evolving and developing life. Some people fall into relationships when they aren't actively looking for love. That's fair. I think a lot of complications arise when expectations are required prior to dating and getting to know one another. Some people are clear and direct about what they want. That's great. I think a lot of people prefer to maintain flexibility about what they want until they have an opportunity to truly get to know you. Again, it's just like... (laughs) Uh, womanist hogwash, basically. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to end the video there. Again, if you're new to the channel, liking the content, hit the sub, hit all for notifications. If you'd like to support me further, I do have a Patreon with exclusive content, patreon.com slash the Helios blog. Just go there and subscribe to any tier, any level of support is appreciated. Again, guys, if you took the time out of your busy day to listen to the end of the video, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys, and I will see you next time.